Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Just baseball show for Tuesday, August 8th. Jack McMullen, Peter Apple. We're talking hitters that have kind of flown under the radar a little bit, but um, the way I kind of viewed it as guys that have either recaptured a previous luster that surrounded them or guys that are taking a big time step up and look like big pieces for their organizations moving forward. Sure, Peter Apple did the same. So we are doing underrated hitters, guys that have been surprising in a great way and look to sustain this moving forward. We also off the top are going to talk about this bomb from Jesse Rogers at ESPN, uh, talking with Keenan Middleton about the negative clubhouse culture and the toxicity with the Chicago White Sox. But Peter, before we get into that, as always, the Just Baseball Show presented by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code JustBaseball. Download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older. Shocking bombshell by Jesse Rogers that the White Sox clubhouse is toxic we never could have guessed but now at least we have why it's particularly toxic yeah it is something that i think everyone had an inkling of um and i think that you probably could have guessed that one of the more dysfunctional clubhouses in baseball was the chicago white Sox because they have so much talent in that clubhouse And it never really even resulted in a season where you viewed them as legitimate World Series contenders. I guess 21 was that year, but 
man, I mean, that team was still very flawed, and they got the brakes beaten off of them by Houston. But last year, incredibly underwhelming. You kept the same core. You added a couple of pieces that you felt like, hey, could have you know shored up the weak spots and pushed them over the top to become true contenders. And they have been abysmal so far this year. So, yeah, clearly there was some dysfunction. But for for a guy to attach his name that signed a minor league free agent deal through really well and said, I was excited to shave my face because I knew I was going to a way better organization in Keenan Middleton. I think we we learned everything we didn't know for sure about the Chicago White Sox. And that is there was no structure unfortunately yeah rookies falling asleep in the bullpen guys missing meetings guys showing up late I guess there's no consequences for negative actions for the Chicago White Sox and I think his name is David Sampson Um, I don't really listen to him much uh, but I did see this quote from him and I found it pretty interesting that when players don't seem to have consequences, it's showed up in the manager, and that's obvious, but it seems that the front office is not putting together any rules for these guys, right? So why would I respect the manager when there's no rules? I can show up whenever I want. I can do whatever I want, and it's not inspiring a winning team, right? We've heard the same rumors with the San Diego Padres. We haven't exactly heard it with the New York Mets, But sometimes you can point to these things and say, there's so much talent on the roster. Why are they not winning? You could tell that teams that promote this clubhouse culture around winning, like the Rays, it seems that the Orioles have everything under control, right? There's a lot of teams throughout Major League Baseball who have as much talent as the White Sox, but are performing much better. And I'm sure a big part of that is When you go to the ballpark, you know your job. You know that every single player is going there to win. But I'm sure, and after reading this article, that walking into the Chicago White Sox clubhouse, there's no real feeling of urgency. There's no real feeling of, we're going to win today because we've prepared enough. It's It's sad, honestly, because I know White Sox fans look at a roster. It must be so confusing to see this team go out every day and just completely, completely underperform. Same thing with the Padres, and we've heard rumors out of there. We just haven't gotten a bombshell story like we just saw. It's such an interesting conversation about clubhouse culture, and obviously you and I have never spent a season in a clubhouse and, like, you know, popped in and out of clubhouses over the last couple of years, but, like, I'm not. I'm not in that clubhouse. Like I, yeah, you know, like I we're not, we're not on the bus yeah. so, with but, Illoy sitting next to him. Exactly. But what I will say is – There are a couple of important things to note when you talk about clubhouse culture. That's that there are some really good teams in baseball history where guys were not all friends. Found it interesting that you brought up Baltimore because Baltimore, they're all friends. Like that feels like a big hangout of 26. Yeah, Yeah. they're all buddies. But there have been teams and there are teams this year, I'm sure, where the three best players on the team, two of them don't like each other. But you get over it because you are professional. There has to be a certain level of internal internal policing that needs to go on from the players. And, and you need to have a level of professionalism if you are a big leaguer. Where you run into serious trouble is if nobody is going to be the true leader of a clubhouse 
to force the guys that are not good at policing themselves to start policing themselves. Like this is all just a leading horse to water conversation. Um, I thought a really interesting element of this article from Jesse Rogers and it's at ESPN. If if you want to read it, I know Jeff Passan retweeted it too. So if you want to go to X or reposted it, sorry, if you want to go to X, um, yeah, whatever that is now post, you can, you can read this article on ESPN, but, um, I, I thought a really interesting point was Lance Lynn, Kendall Graveman, Tim Anderson were all on Team USA, and you had Moncada and Robert on Team Cuba in the World Baseball Classic. So you missed some spring training. Also thought a really important point. Yes, while Pedro Grifol, a big league manager, his job is to manage massive egos and adults. I can't put all of it on Pedro because they made it very clear that these were similar habits during the Tony La Russa reign. Um, and I mean, shit, dude, like we're talking about some 26 year old, 28 year old, 30 year old guys that can't get their shit together. Are you kidding me? Like you're 30. You got a wife and a couple of kids, maybe like get your shit together, handle your business within a clubhouse. So I, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to read about dysfunction in a clubhouse like that because that shows a lack of vocal leadership and you know i wouldn't blame like a lance land for walking in after repping team usa and it's like wow this place is so far gone i'm just gonna get traded yeah um i don't blame lance lynn for not stepping up i don't blame you know really anybody for stepping up as like a true vocal leader because then you fracture that clubhouse even more because guys don't want to listen to you that's the thing. Like the leaders don't have buddies. It's the disruptors that had buddies. And I thought that was made clear in this ESPN article. I also really enjoyed talking about the nuances of this because in baseball, right, we're about to go over 10 underrated hitters. I have five. You have five. Yeah. And we're going to break them all down by the numbers. Right. But you can't quantify clubhouse chemistry. You just can't. No, you it's like one of those with, with World Series wins, and that's what the twenty one Atlanta Braves had. Yeah, no, you you can quantify it in wins, and winning does solve a lot of things, right? If the White Sox were winning, I'm sure the clubhouse culture would be a lot better yeah. because they'd have a boombox over their shoulder and they'd be blasting music like sometimes we've seen in Moneyball. And Billy Bean comes in and is like, "Fuck all of you!" Like, th- you know how turn off the boombox and it's silent, this is what losing feels like and reverts that back. There just doesn't seem to be the leadership, and it's not all on Pedro. But at the same time, Pedro hasn't done anything to change the culture. It might have started with Tony La Russa, but we've seen what the Rangers have been able to do, bringing in Bruce Bochy. I'm sure that's helped clubhouse chemistry a lot. I'm sure he's been a great you know, arbiter of success in there. So while it's not all on Pedro, this is clear that this has been a thing for the White Sox now. He's certainly not helping. I just don't know what the answer is. Like, if I'm a White Sox fan sitting, listening to this, asking myself, well, when does this change? I wish I had an answer because I don't know who you bring in to completely change. Like, the White Sox almost started the rebuild by selling off some guys, but they need to fully tear it down. Shout out foul territory you know one of our friends who's also sponsored by bet mgm aj Brzezinski was talking about he's like tear it everything down like the front office needs to change the manager needs to change they need a completely new team outside of luis robert completely new. 
Well, and Luis Robert, I'm not sure like how much of I we have no idea where Luis Robert lies in this. He could be a great team leader. He could be one of the disruptors. You have no Absolutely. idea what's going Absolutely. on there. So but at least he's playing well. Right? At, least at least he's playing he's well. And, yeah. and you're able to stomach guys like they're <laughs> some of the best players in baseball history were shitheads. Like you can yeah. stomach it because they're playing so well, but you need to have good clubhouse camaraderie to circumvent that. So I'm with you like. Yes, blowing it up makes sense. If you can get as close to starting from scratch as possible, uh, this feels like the offseason where you make that happen. Um, it's just a it's a really unfortunate thing to dive into for me. And you know, we've we've talked about this, and I, I'm not making this about me whatsoever, but um, you know, like this was my favorite team growing up. And yeah. it was I watched well, it's still them your favorite World team, right? It's still your favorite like, team. So <laughs> We can dive into this if you want. Like, I just, I don't have a favorite team. I root for the individuals that we've met and we've covered in, in this game that yeah. I've crossed paths with in the minor leagues. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm a big, you know, Padres high A guys in 2021s fan. Like, yeah. I see Amos Willingham come out of the pen for the Washington Nationals or Jake Alou get a hit for the Washington Nationals. I'm like, I shared a bus with that guy from Morgantown, West Virginia to Auburn, New York from yeah. 1 a.m. to 7 a.m. Um, and like I root for those guys. So I'd say my White Sox fandom was close to as close to non-existent as it has ever been coming into this year. And they've just pushed me away to the point where like it's hard to convince myself to watch a White Sox game when there is a good starting pitching matchup on elsewhere. Yes. So it, it's just it's an impossible sell for many, many White Sox fans right now. And I think that this only fuels that fire and they're in a really bad spot. They're on incredibly thin ice right now, because if you try to run this shit back with a lot of familiar faces and it's same old, same old next year, and we get more rumors about rifts in the clubhouse, how many White Sox fans are still going to pay this team to go watch? I don't know. So I wouldn't. Yeah, I, this is as big of a crossroads as I think we've seen from a professional baseball team in quite some time. And I think that they need to address that. So we can move on to a happier thing if you want. You want to do that? Let's lighten the mood. How about the top 10 underrated hitters in Major League Baseball this season? I have five. Jack has five. These aren't in any order. And I'm sure everyone watching on YouTube, you're going to have your answer for more underrated hitters and feel free to let us know right you know we try and watch as much baseball we're looking at the stats and this is just our opinion of guys that we don't feel are getting enough shine you might be watching your team every single day and feel like this guy's not getting enough shine and you'd be totally right so while we say top 10 it's not a perfect list i brought five jack has five and why don't i start let's do it i'll go ahead and we'll just go back and forth um so I'll kind of go from bottom to top, and I really want to highlight C.J. Abrams of the Washington Nationals. So Abrams is a really interesting case of prospect fatigue. When a guy comes up and he immediately doesn't hit the ground running, we almost kind of become tired of him. But at the same time, C.J. Abrams, Dylan Cruz, and Wyatt Langford are similar ages, right? C.J. Abrams is still 22 years old. And C.J. Abrams got off to a fine start, right? He got off to a fine start in April. He was a 709 OPS guy. In May, 707 OPS, fine. Then in June, he really, really struggled. 
but post All-Star break, guys slashing 308, 360, 505 with an 865 OPS for the Washington Nationals. This season, he's a 733 OPS guy with 11 home runs and 27 stolen bases. His quality of contact is getting better and better, and he's even flashed some really big-time hits. He's in the 81st percentile of max exit velocity. So when he really hits a ball, he really hits it at 112.5 miles an hour. This is just a guy who came up, didn't show all that much, and everyone's like, oh, C.J. Abrams, right? Got traded in the Juan Soto deal. was a big, big-time prospect, and we're finally starting to see it kind of come together. He's hitting leadoff more often for the Washington Nationals. He's just a really, really exciting player to watch. And I'm a degenerate. I bet on too many Washington Nationals games this season, and I've been on Washington Nationals money line a couple of times, rooting for them to win. And when C.J. Abrams is starting to come up, you know that switch that's flipped where it's like, oh, you know, he's hitting ninth. It's probably an auto out. It's probably ground out. No, he's actually rocking the lowest ground ball rate of his career this season, and it's only getting better and better as the season progresses. He's hitting the ball in the air much more. He's still hitting the ball hard. And when he gets on base, he reeks. He reeks. He wrecks havoc. He's just a really exciting player. 97 WRC plus this season, right? He started off slow, but he's a guy to watch moving forward. Like fantasy baseball people, he's a guy who I'm targeting next year. I think he's really, really exciting and just a really fun watch. Well, and he's the next guy to get to 3,000 hits, right? (laughs) Shout out Arm Layton. Yeah. So like, I don't hate the take. Like, of course, it's a hot take. He's 22, but, but he's got it all there and he's just so fast and he's so fun. Yeah, so I, I think if I were to name the three guys, Freddie Freeman, I think, is going to get there. So I think Freddie is is the next one to do it. But after that, I would say my list, if I had to compile three, is probably Wander Franco, Bo Bichette, and I, I think C.J. Abrams is, is a good third pick. I would also entertain the idea of Corbin Carroll. Um, but- Maybe Jake Bowers. It, probably Billy McKinney, too. Billy yeah. McKinney still has a ton of time left. And Greg Allen. <laughs> Whoever picks up Willie Calhoun has got a potential 3,000 hit guy. For sure. And according to yeah. Stephen A., Kiner Falifa. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think I really enjoy Abrams. And I think a lot of people jump ship because he was a young 21-year-old that was skin and bone that was exactly looking like a young 21-year-old that was skin and bone. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, shame on you for jumping ship if you did. But... 22-year-old C.J. Abram looks like a freaking beast. So I I love that poll. I think Isak Paredes with the Tampa Bay Rays has been the most underrated hitter in baseball. And I'm going to make my case right now. This guy in 100 games has a 140 WRC+, plus, a 144 WRC+, plus, and has 3.2 war. Again, in 100 games. He's got 21 homers. The walk rate's over 10%. And the K rate is under 20%. This guy in the month of June, I think it was June. Yeah, June, this guy had a 920 OPS. He upped it in July, 20 games in July. He had a 672 slug. He had eight homers in a 1015 OPS. The Rays are a wagon. We know that. And the Rays' concerns are in starting pitching help because you've got McClanahan back on the IL. Obviously, you have Rasmussen out for the year. You've got Springs out for the year. Boz has been TJ'd up the entire time. Eflin had an IL stint, too. Taj Bradley's been inconsistent. But, man, like, 
okay, we want to laud this offense. We want to laud Wander Franco. How about Yandy Diaz, the all-star? Yandy's been amazing. You got to give some credit to Isak Paredes. I thought that he was robbed of an all-star appearance in really his second full year at the big league level. But this guy's only 24 years old. He's 24 in five months. He is young. He is awesome. And I think he's going to be a really good hitter for a really long time. Couldn't agree more. Dude rakes. Another raise fleece job. I think Isak Paredes has accumulated more war this season than Austin Meadows has in his entire career with the Detroit Tigers. Okay, so I I do want to snake this because you mentioned fleece job. The Tigers fleeced. Jamer Candelario was traded in 2016 at the deadline. Candelario was traded from the Cubs to the Tigers for Justin Wilson, who was a reliever, and Alex Avila. Al Avila, the, the GM, traded his catcher's son. But it was Jamer, and it was a low-A Isak Paredes that went from low-A with the Cubs to the Tigers in that deal. So it was Candelario and Paredes for Wilson and Avila. And, and I'm going to go here two in a row, and then you know we'll we'll snake it. Fantasy football yes. draft season, we're going to snake yes. this. We're just we're just talking ball. <laughs> yeah. Jamer Candelario is my next one, and, and I think that. This Cubs stretch that he's on is like the perfect example of that. He found new life. He was kicking ass for Washington. And this is a guy that had to sign a one-year prove-it deal. And Candelario went from one of the better rental bats on the market to the best rental bat on the market because he had a solid start to his summer. And Cody Bellinger got taken off the trade block. Cubs got aggressive. Cubs grabbed, I think, the best hitter on the market again and they grabbed a guy that can play third base for them and and that creates much more flexibility yes i i do enjoy patrick wisdom's massive home runs but patrick wisdom has way more offensive flaws and defensive flaws than jamer candelario and candelario can play first if need be they just dfa'd mancini they've already dfa'd hosmer mervis was optioned previously this year i i mean it creates flexibility for christopher morell as well I thought Jamer to the Cubs was a really underrated deadline pickup. And I think Jamer Candelario has been an incredibly underrated hitter in 2023. Couldn't agree with you more. The only issue is Candelario since going over the Cubs hasn't performed all that well. He's yeah. hitting under 600. Yeah. Due to slashing. <laughs> He's been so fucking good. He's slashing 571, 640, 905 with a 1545 OPS with the Cubs. What, what's so the far. hits for at bats? He has 12 hits and 21 ABs in August. And how many extra base hits? He has four doubles, one home run, four walks, two strikeouts, even has the stolen base. So he has twice as many doubles as strikeouts so far with the uh, Chicago Cubs. Sure. And the Cubs just keep on raking great series against the Braves. I know you guys talked about it on the podcast yesterday, so we won't get fully into it. But the Cubs, you know, they're the one team in the National League Central with a run differential in the green, not in the red. Heimer Candelario was a big-time pickup for them and is just destroying baseballs and continues to. 863 OPS with 17 bombs this season for Candelario. And, but we got to also give credit to the Nationals. Like, obviously, the Cubs went out and got him. Dude, he was having a really bad season there with Detroit. Nationals just picked him up, and we're going to flip him. 
great pickup by Mike Rizzo and co. So there have been a couple great rental pickups and Rich Hill doesn't look like a great rental pickup for the Pirates, but Jose Quintana last year was an excellent rental pickup for the Pirates because that yeah. guy, they turned a guy that was like willing to sign a minor league free agent deal in Quintana into Johan Oviedo and Malcolm Nunez. And for the Nats to turn a one-year prove-it, Jammer Candelario into hers and Made, who are both like flawed prospects, but they are good prospects nonetheless, it is really impressive. And I think that's how teams that are constantly picking in the competitive balance rounds, even the playing field, by signing those rentals, by getting prospects in a seller's market deadline, and by capitalizing. Absolutely. So we'll move on, and we're going to stay in the division for my back-to-back picks in the National League Central, which it kind of makes sense, right? We're talking about top underrated hitters, so we're not going to bring up guys on really good teams that everybody knows. So like Orioles fans, I know you probably think Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes, but I think everybody in America is turning on Orioles games these days, so we didn't bring any Orioles. We're talking about the teams that nobody's watching except us because we're addicted to gross baseball. And the Reds... They have not been a good baseball team lately, right? They were crushing it. Ellie De La Cruz got called up June 6th. They're one of the best teams in baseball against right-handed pitching. They were just a very, very good team, really exciting. But since then, it's been a little bit of a free fall. But a guy in their lineup who has done anything but free fall is Spencer Steer. And can I take a bow, please? Sure. Go back on my Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. I was tweeting about this guy since he got the call up from the Reds. Now, I didn't know much about him. Shout out Arm Layton and shout out you for when we talked about the trade. And you guys always said he's got good plate discipline. He could be a, a decent big leaguer. And I was like, okay, didn't think much of it. But there was a couple games there where I was on the Reds money line. And maybe sometimes when I'm gambling, I, I see some guys and they help me out win a bet. And I'm just going to start liking them. Spencer Sear was that guy. Walk off home run in one game. And I was like, Okay, I'm going to keep watching this guy. And ever since then, he's just been such a solid hitter and has carried that over this season. 17 bombs, 9 stolen bases, slashing 270, 352, 462 to give him an 814 OPS. He's got a 115 WRC plus this season, 15% above league average, which is higher than Manny Machado, which is plays his position third base but Steer can play a bunch of different ones and Julio Rodriguez just a really solid hitter that you know doesn't chase he's got a 20% K rate which is down 4% from last season and when he came up this is why I really liked him didn't go outside of his plan right walked at a 10% rate last year still walking at a 10% rate this year Lowered the ground ball rate, which I always think is huge. You put the ball in the air enough and you hit the ball hard, good things are going to happen to you. 43% ground ball rate last year, 36% this season. When I turn on Reds games, I feel, even though Matt McClain has been excellent, of course, Ellie De La Cruz is incredibly exciting. You know, Fraley's been great. Will Benson's been great. But when Spencer Steer walks up to the plate, and I'm actually curious, Reds fans, if you agree with this, I think day in and day out, he's giving the Reds the best at-bats that they have in their lineup. And I just feel whenever Spencer Sears does come to the plate, something good happens, right? If it's runners on second and third, he's the sack fly guy, right? If there's a runner on second and less than two outs, he's moving them over. 
He's just a guy who's consistently making the right baseball decision, even if it doesn't show up in 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 the box score, right? Runners on second and third. He's not getting out of his plan. He'll take the walk. Now, would you like to see him driving those runs? Yes, but if he doesn't see a strike, take first base, and then good things start to happen. I just think he's a really sound hitter who's going to be a good hitter for a very long time, even if the stats don't flash, even if they don't pop off the page. He's just going to be a guy who's 20 to 25 home runs, 10 to 15 steals. He's going to hit 270. He's going to be an 800 OPS guy while playing a lot of different positions. I just think he's a really sound baseball player that I just appreciate watching day in and day out. So Steer, I think Steer and McLean are the two guys in that Reds lineup that just slow everybody's heart rate. Slows Red fans' heart rate. Slows. Couldn't agree more. That's a heart rate. It's a really good way to put it. They slow heart rates down. Because like Ellie, in an exciting way, elevates it, but also in a frustrating way. When he's hitting leadoff, I think I saw K rates over forty percent. Yeah, he's just striking out all the time. Yeah. yeah, it's it, it's tough. And CES, like, there's some chase there. There's some whip there. There's you know a, a good bit in Joey Votto. It's frustrating to see a shell of Joey Votto's former self. So Will Benson is not is not, you know, the perfect hit profile, too. He's really exciting and the exciting guys elevated. But you need some high floor calming influences in that lineup. And I think that they found two rookies that are exactly that in McLean and in Spencer Steer. What I think. I loved with Steer when he was a Twins minor leaguer and then when he made the move, you know, there. And and I know what Arm loved, too, is he's always going to find himself in a lineup and chances are in the middle of a lineup because he can play an adequate second base, third base. He could probably figure out a corner. He could play first base. He could like th- there's so much malleability there. He can play every position except shortstop, center field and catcher. Yeah, he yeah. might be able to pitch. Possibly, and I think he could probably figure out center. They're not going to have him figure out center because it would be more beneficial to have a McLean figure out center. But if you have Steer bouncing around, and I I think that Steer moving forward could be either the left fielder or the second baseman, depending on what they do with India this offseason. I think Spencer Steer is just going to be in the Reds lineup, and he's going to be in a major league lineup for the next decade because he's going to walk. He's not going to strike out at an egregious clip, and he's going to hit with enough impact. So... I think steer is so safe and safe is fun, man. Safe is fun. And when you're really safe on a lineup filled with incredibly volatile guys like Ellie De La Cruz or Will Benson, you sometimes fall a little bit under the radar, right? When you think of Cincinnati Reds, you think of Ellie De La Cruz. You don't think of Spencer steer, but moving forward, steer is much safer than Ellie De La Cruz is. So, so I think of Ian Jabot. When I close my eyes and I see Cincinnati Red, I think of Great Britain's finest Ian Jabot. Yeah. I think of uh, Lion Richardson. Who, mm-hmm. you know, back throws to gas. Back on the first two pitches, but man, does he throw gas. Yeah, not, not great. That's what <laughs> I think in. Hey, he settled <laughs> in. Settled in. <laughs> settled in. All right, we're staying in the National League Central. Jack Sawinski hits the living piss out of the baseball, right? He's 25 years old. He's in the 95th percentile max exit velo, 86th percentile of hard hit rate, 88th average exit velocity, 97th percentile barrel rate, walks a ton. He's in the 96th percentile because he walks 14.3% of the time. Jack Sawinski this season, 21 bombs, seven bags, but the issue is he's hitting 215. He strikes out way too much. 33% rate this year, 32.8 to be exact. 
but he's got a 336 on base. He's got a 475 slug, and he's a very good defender. But the problem is, is he strikes out a lot, and it lowers his batting average. But another guy lowered the ground ball rate completely from 43% down to 26% and has seen those you know, ground balls that were hit really hard. He's hit them in the air, and they're going over the fence. Like Jack Sawinski hits the ball so damn hard, he could be a 30 home run guy moving forward for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Just a really, really exciting player. And when you think about the Pittsburgh Pirates, you might think O'Neill Cruz, who we haven't really seen this year, so maybe you don't. But you definitely think of Brian Reynolds. But Jack Swinski, when I watch Pirates games, I'm like, great. Sawinski's up. We got a chance to put a crooked number on the scoreboard because he has that level of power. But I think Jack Sawinski's development, if he can just cut down the strikeout rate, even to like 25%, he could become one of the better offensive power bats in the National League, right? If he just makes more contact, he hits the living piss out of the ball whenever he touches the baseball but he's just not touching the baseball enough, but he's still putting together 21 home runs with an 800 OPS while maintaining a 33% K rate. And he's still just 25 years old. He's not this 30 year old where it's like, all right, we know what we're going to get from him now. Yeah. If he can lower that K rate, he's going to be a dangerous hitter that the Pirates should be building around moving forward. And like, he already, yeah, no, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, like these are guys like when I turn on the game and I'm either betting or just watching and he comes up like I'm watching these guys are really good. And I think Sawinski is right in there. And just from a WRC plus angle, 119 WRC plus this season, yeah. which is one point higher than Fernando Tatis Jr. Who sits at 118. He's been very good for the Pirates overall, even while maintaining a terrible strikeout rate. Yeah, no, and I was just going to say he's already a feared hitter, and he's already a, a really good hitter, even with the egregious K rate. So there are some guys that just circumvent bad K rates by being really good and really strong. Matt Olson, I think, is the best example, and I'm not comping Sawinski to Matt Olson because Olson's like a true 45 homer guy. Like Matt yeah. Olson can lead the National League in homers. I don't think Sawinski can do that, but I think Sawinski can be 30 homers in a season. I think he could go for 30 this year. The most slept on thing about Jack Sawinski is that he is a good defensive outfielder. And Great. Play a good center field. Yep. If you get 30 homers from a center fielder, you're in a really good spot as an organization. I mean, you spend decades looking for a 30 home run center fielder. We're talking about a guy a 30 home run center fielder who plays good defense, that's already a top 10 guy. Imagine if he cuts down the strikeout rate. And you don't need to cut it down to like by 10%. Cut it down by 5%. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a couple more home runs, a couple more doubles, because I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, he hits the living piss out of the baseball, right? Like when you're saying he could be a 30 home run guy this season, yeah. Dude, if he cuts down the home run rate with this incredibly low ground ball rate, he could be 35 home runs. I yep. really do think that. I think he's got that in his bag. I wouldn't be shocked if he makes those adjustments to see that next year. Because it's funny, similar to Matt Olson, and that's why I know you're not directly comping them because Matt Olson is on another level. But the same kind of thing, right? Matt Olson, big walk rate guy. So he's circumventing the strikeouts with walks. Sawinski's doing the same thing too. But man, just the more contact he puts on, the better he will be. And even with this 800 OPS guy with 21 home runs in August, good player, really like him. 
really good player. Another guy that is very, very similar to him, I think in almost an identical spot, is Nolan Gorman with the St. Louis mm. Cardinals. And I think that Gorman is a great it's example of a guy. Yeah, hits the piss out of the baseball, had a ton of prospect intrigue, but there were a ton of red flags that I think people ignored because he got off to such a hot start last year in his big league career and such a hot start at the AAA level last year. But this is Nolan Gorman's first full season in the major leagues. And Nolan Gorman on a bad St. Louis team has flown under the radar. What's the conversation about the Cardinals this year? It was, oh my God, they have no starting pitching. Oh my God, Wilson Contreras, what's this saga going on? Oh my God, are they going to trade Arenado? How does Goldschmidt feel about this? Nolan Gorman might have been the 11th or 12th guy that you mentioned. Oh, by the way, Nolan Gorman's having a really good year. I'm talking about Dylan Carlson having a bad year and Tyler O'Neill being hurt before I'm talking about Gorman having a good year this year with St. Louis because it, it works against what the St. Louis Cardinals have done so far this year. But Nolan Gorman was amazing in the month of May, a 960 OPS. He was one of the best hitters in baseball through, I guess, May 31, June 1. And then June sucked. He hit a buck 43 in 20 games. He had a 440 OPS. But after that, July, a 950 OPS. And since the All-Star break, in 18 games, he's hitting 313 with a 1092 OPS. The problem, much like Sawinski, is he's punching out 30% of the time. Mm. But here's the thing that gets me fired up about the future of Nolan Gorman. What was the biggest concern when Gorman broke in? It was lefties, right? Lefty, lefty matchups. Yeah. Arm was like, he almost, he was so bad against lefties. Like arm was visibly upset. Yes. He was like angry. <laughs> Nolan Gorman against lefties this year, smaller sample, 59 plate appearances, but in 59 plate appearances against left-handed pitching, Nolan Gorman is hitting 275 with an 885 OPS. I'm okay kind of makes with thirty percent. Kind of makes you raise your eyebrows a little bit and be like, "Hmm." Mm-hmm. So mm. Nolan Gorman in a very low stress environment because he's one of the few guys playing really well on a really bad team and an underperforming team has a one twenty six WRC plus and he's a two and a half win player in ninety nine games. God, I love baseball. <laughs> like if we if we said this sentence earlier the season that. Nolan Gorman was going to be hitting third and might be the Cardinals best hitter this season for a very bad team. Like that sentence is just nuts. <laughs> like The Cardinals being a very bad team and Nolan Gorman hitting third and quite possibly the best hitter on the team this year. Mm-hmm. Isn't baseball the best? It's just baseball is nothing. Best. Nothing End makes quote, any fucking Sarah Langs. Nothing makes any fucking sense. It's just no, let's see if you go to the ballpark and hit today. You know what made no sense was Cattell Marte's 2022. Mm. And that's my next guy, my second to last guy. What Cattell did I say? Mar- Cattell Marte is that guy. Remember when he did the top 100 players and everybody thought I was yeah. insane? I'm like, he's still got, he's so fucking talented. I think people kind of bowed out because in 137 games last year, he had a 102 WRC plus and he was a one and a half win player. He was Casuals. average after signing a $90 million deal. Casuals. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Cattell Marte, 16% K rate, a 130 WRC plus, and he's been a three-win player so far in 106 games. So Cattell Marte is back. Yeah. And maybe it took just like a good team. Hey, you've got Carroll. Marte is not the focal point. If I see that lineup card at full strength, and I'm an opposing manager, I'm saying, okay, we got to deal with Corbin Carroll. 
we got to deal with Christian Walker. Cattell Marte's third on that list. Last year, Marte was first. That helps. I just think I think Marte is just healthy. Like it's kind of similar to Yelich. I think these guys are just finally healthy. Yeah. Right. It's just seasons of playing through injury or just simply being too injured to play. Like Cattell Marte is playing with that similar. I think it was what twenty nineteen where he just went off and looked like a potential MVP type player. He was a six win player with a 150 WRC plus. Like that's what he's got in him. I think he's just finally healthy. And when I ranked him high on my top 100, that was what I was banking on. Well, I was like, this just doesn't look like the same explosive athlete that he was. And the reason why I was trying to prove it is like, what you guys were saying, it's like, we haven't seen that in a very long time. Why do you think it's just going to come back? And it was a guess for me. That's why it's like I'm calling people casuals and and taking a victory lap when in reality, it was a coin flip. Will that return for Cattell Marte? Yeah. And it has. And we're seeing it unfold right now. It just stinks that the Diamondbacks as a team have taken a free fall, but he hasn't. He's it's just no such pitches. a stud. He's yeah. such a stud. We talked about that yesterday on yesterday's show. Like they have no pitching. This is really concerning. Yeah. And is it because if Gallon isn't the best pitcher in the National League, right? They just lost to the Twins, whereas Dallas Keuchel versus yeah, Zach Allen. Keuchel, Keuchel had a generational stretch in AAA. He was awesome. It's the same Paul saying. <laughs> no, I know, but you know what I'm saying, though? Just like yeah. on the surface, no, Diamondbacks, if, you if expect Arizona, them to win Gallon versus Keuchel. Yes. If the Diamondbacks are losing Gallon starts, they're in a miserable spot. Exactly. That's, that's the main point there. So... Yeah. All right, I'll um I'll end. So I got two. I got no, two. No, I got more. one more after this. Okay, so I'll just go one, then you one, then back to me Perfect. to end it. Perfect. The Red Sox got a really good one in Tristan Casas. And Aram came on, I think it was last year, and he was just singing the praises of Tristan Casas and said he had a little bit of Freddie Freeman in him. Oh. And that got me excited, right? Not as a Yankee fan that had me terrified, but as an enjoyer of baseball to see another first baseman come up who could maybe resemble Freddie Freeman one day is just great for the game of baseball. And while he hasn't fully unlocked it yet, when you look at his total stats this season, even though he's been very good, 17 home runs, slashing 251, 353, great OBP, 479 slugging percentage, 832 OPS. He's been good. But you're seeing each month getting better and better and better. In April, slashed 137, 284, 301 with a 585 OPS. Couldn't hit water if he fell off a boat. But then he figured it out a little bit. 767 OPS in May. Fast forward to June, a little bit better. 851 OPS, right? The walks, they're starting to come in. Strikeout rate's getting a little bit lower. In July, this is where he, everything clicked. Seven home runs in the month of July, slash 348, 442, 758 with a 1200 OPS. Now, he's got he's been a little bit crummy in August so far, but he's got 16 at bats, so I'm not putting much stock into it. But what I am putting stock into is the fact that he doesn't strike out all that much, right? 25% rate, which is not ideal. 
But at the end of the day, he's 23 years old. He's 6'5", 250 pounds, and he's walking a ton. Showed it last year and just continues to show it this year. Hard hit rate is way up. Another guy, 56% ground ball rate when he first came up. This year, 35%. And when you hit the ball as hard as he does, 80th percentile in the hard hit rate, 86th percentile in mags exit velo, 85th percentile in the average exit velo, and you put the ball in the air, good things are going to happen to you. He was a first-round pick back in 2018, and the Red Sox have really, I think, found their first baseman of the future. Tristan Casas, again, when he comes up, when I'm watching Red Sox games, everybody's thinking about Rafael Devers. When in reality, like Casas right now is as scary as Rafael Devers is. I know that it's a crazy statement, but check the Carfax. Look at the numbers. When he comes up to the plate, even when it doesn't go out of the ballpark, it's a freaking moonshot to center field and maybe they catch it or it's a low liner just hitting the living piss out of the ball and it's going in the air. And when you put the ball in the air and you hit it hard, good things tend to happen. And we're starting to see that unfold for a guy with so much potential at still just 23 years old. I'm counting 11 batted balls at 110 miles an hour plus so far this year. Pissing on baseballs. Pissing on baseballs. So this is a big man that needed to start hitting like a big man. And he wasn't doing so at the beginning of the year. He, he was hitting like a guy that was still trying to find his footing in the big leagues. The thing about Rafi Devers that makes him so special is... When he hits the ball, like it's just different. It, it yeah, comes it off is. the bat quicker. It sounds harder. And that's the level of, I think, fright that Tristan Casas can put into opposing defenses and into opposing fan bases. And he wasn't doing it until that hot stretch you mentioned. Now that Casas is doing that, this Red Sox lineup is much more capable than what we forecasted them to be. I think mm-hmm. the other the other guy that kind of aids that is Masataka Yoshida. I think Yoshida absolutely is, like th- that's just. A I just didn't think he was underrated, right? No, like, no, no. He came He's over a big ninety million dollar player. Yeah, exactly. Got a yeah. huge contract. So no, I, I think Yoshida Yoshida is a great guy to have like in the two hole. But if you've got Casas endeavors moving forward for the next six, seven, you know, ten years, depending on what you do with Casas, if you have them as mainstays in the three and four spot. This Red Sox lineup becomes so much better immediately. There are bad lineups with good three and four hitters, good two, three, and four hitters that win a lot of games. And Red Sox fans might say, well, what about Jaron Duran? And you're right. I was just trying to pick between the two of them. I've just been so impressed with Casas. And Duran, it kind of just came out of nowhere. So I would say that he's underrated. But it's just we've been waiting for for this from Casas for a while, not for a while because he's still a young player, but when I heard about him so long ago, seeing it unfold, I want people to realize that Casas will be one of the best first basemen in baseball, I think, for a very long time, while Duran is just a flash in the pan. Like, maybe he continues, and man, he is good. Red Sox fans, do not think that I just forgot about him. Jaron Duran should be in this conversation, but like I said, I don't know if it's going to continue with Jaron Duran. A lot of the numbers say that this is real. I just, I didn't expect this. Casas been waiting for it, and he's delivering. And a lot of what he has is God given, man. Like it's God, he is just so burly. Yeah, go he's got back, like Jason Giambi in him. I know. Go back to June twenty first, and, and this is 
the hit that kind of jumps out to me. June 21st, top of the eighth against Yoan Duran in Minnesota. I remember that, yeah. He gets a 98-mile-an-hour splitter, and he hits that ball 110 for a double. Very, very few people on the planet can do that. Rocket. Rocket. He should be hitting rockets against a 98-mile-an-hour splitter, but Casas did. And not a lot of hitters in Major League Baseball could do that. First of all, hit the ball 110. Second of all, do it off that pitch. Yeah, He's special, man. He's very exciting. And Duran is two Red Sox fans. Yes. But I just got to see it more. With Casas, I'm pretty confident that we're just going to keep seeing it. Duran, I need to see more. Yeah. I'm wrapping in the National League West. The San Francisco Giants, I think a lot of people were talking about this team being sneaky good in June, right? Mm-hmm. July, that conversation tapered off a little bit because the Giants were tapering off a little bit. And now the Giants are back in that wild card window. And I point you to Lamont Wade's production there. Been so good. Yeah. And nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody Lamont, wants to talk about it. Lamont what are you Wade doing, big time media? It, <laughs> hey, haters. Look haters. at Lamont Wade. 20 games in June, a 301 clip, had an 890 OPS. Sucked in July. 180, 488 OPS. But so far, five games in August, he's seven for 18 with a pair of homers. The Giants' offense kind of goes when Lamont Wade goes, and there are bigger money guys in that lineup. And and there are, I don't know, like, I love that a lot of the conversation about the Giants' lineup is about Pat Bailey and how amazing Pat Bailey has been both behind the plate and in the batter's box. He might be the best defensive catcher in Major League Baseball right now. He has a a rifle behind the plate, such a good blocker. He's so fun to watch catch. And and Pat Bailey could have been the guy, but I don't think he's underrated right now because I think the the people that monitor baseball and love baseball, when they look at the San Francisco Giants, they say, I love watching Pat Bailey play. Fair. I just don't think... you got to be a real nerd to say that sentence, but I agree with you. Right. No, but hey, we cater to the nerds, right? I'm a nerd. We are nerds. We cater to the nerds. Um. I don't find myself saying, man, I love watching Lamont Wade Jr. But over the course of 162, you should love having Lamont Wade Jr. on your team. Lamont Wade Jr. is the favorite player of the dude who hasn't left his basement or seen sunlight or felt the touch of the opposite gender, same gender, whatever you want to call it. Because his batted ball data is great. He walks a ton. But he's kind of boring, but he just some of his stuff just shoots off the stat page. And when you watch him play like he's very similar and a better version, honestly, than Spencer Steer, incredible play discipline, fights through every single at bat, moves guys over smart, sound baseball player Lamont Wade Jr. is. And he's every nerd's favorite player. And for good reason, he's one of mine, too, because I'm one of those nerds. So like Lamont Wade kind of broke out during the 2021 season because he was a no-name and he was spelling Belt and Longoria and Buster Posey in the middle of that lineup when they were all getting rest because they were old men. Lamont Wade was great in 2021. He's been objectively better. He's half a win better in 12 fewer games. He was a 1.6 war player in 2021 in 109 games. He had a 116 WRC+. This year, 97 games. He's got a 132 WRC+, and he's a 2.1 win player. He's been better in the batting average department. He's walking at double the clip. He's striking out 4% less. K rates under 20%. Walk rate over 16%. It's 
still he's good. been amazing this year, and we just needed to mention him. He'd be Billy Bean's favorite player. Oh yeah, gets on base. <laughs> gets on base. Gets on base. Three ninety seven OBP. Guy gets on base. All right, I'm gonna end in the American League West, and a guy who also really gets on base. Also, Jack, we at this point, we got something going here with the Just Baseball Show. In 2021, I think, I'm unsure of the year, we called Dansby Swanson the average shortstop, the barometer for average shortstop play. Last year, that crown was taken off Dansby because he was a six-win guy, and it was placed on the head, the crown was, on the head of J.P. Crawford. J.P. Crawford is the best hitter on the Seattle Mariners. I mean, it's just, it just, it is what it is. J.P. Crawford now leads off. He's got a 128 WRC plus, which is right above Paul Goldschmidt and Randy Arozarena, slashing 263, 379 on base percentage with a 408 slugging. So my issue with J.P. Crawford was always the guy's contact quality was really, really low right? Super low hard hit rate. Just didn't hit the ball hard enough for me really to notice him. Now this year, he's not crushing the baseball, but he's made massive improvements. Hard hit rate, 29.7% last year, 37.5% this year, which puts him in the 45th percentile. So if he can make his contact quality, if it can be average, he's going to be a very good player because he doesn't chase, doesn't whiff, walks a ton and doesn't strike out at all. 15% walk rate this year, career high by far. And he's striking out a little bit more than usual, but it's okay because he lowered his ground ball rate. And when you're hitting the ball hard and it's not on the ground, you're going to see a lot of success. Now, my one issue with J.P. Crawford this season is he's been horrible defensively by the numbers. This is weird which is weird because I almost don't believe them, right? My eye test doesn't match up. And I've watched a stupid amount of Mariners games because I bet on them all the time. I got all my futures on them. So I watch a lot of Mariners games. This is not a first percentile defender. It just isn't, right? We can we can debate all day. And I might just tell you to debate a wall because I just don't agree. I think he is... Remember, I mean, this guy was a first-round pick, top prospect with the Philadelphia Phillies, and just didn't hit the ball hard enough to be relevant. And even with the Mariners early on, it wasn't that great. But he has been the best hitter for the Seattle Mariners this season. And a 128 WRC plus, it's pretty damn good, right? So if he could be 15 home runs, hit around 270, OBP at 360, that's a good That's a good player, and that's an above-average shortstop. If Julio Rodriguez and Teoscar Hernandez were hitting by J, like J.P. Crawford, they'd be in a better spot. They'd win the World Series. Which is right? hilarious. It's Which crazy. Like- how are we talking about it like that? Okay, so now the natural way to end this is tab the next barometer for average shortstop play. And I'm going to throw you some options. Okay. C.J. Abrams. He's going to go nuclear next year. Mm-hmm. Perfect. <laughs> um, other options, Willie Adamas, but I don't like tabbing Adamas as that guy because Adamas has been really disappointing this year. Uh, Jeremy Pena. Maybe, maybe what he needs is for us to call him average so that he goes crazy next year. So those are my three options for you there. Because I could say Volpe, I could say Tovar, but I don't want to. C.J. Abrams, Willie Adamas, Jeremy Pena. I like that. As the average shortstop, 
Hmm. Pena is just incredible defensively. So that's why I think I lean Abrams. It's funny. I lean Adamas because when I, I feel like you look up top 30 shortstops, Willie Adamas is going to be 15th. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he might be higher. He might be. But at the end of season, he might be lower. Okay. Let's call Willie Adamas. I would love a bounce back from Adamas in 24. So let's call Willie Adamas the barometer for average shortstop play. It's funny. I like all three of those guys next year. I think all three are very good. Yeah. So we'll just see what happens. But that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Remember, we tried our best 10 underrated hitters. I'm sure you have plenty of others. Let us know in the comment section. But so moving forward, so we're going to have Walker Bueller on this week. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to do underrated pitchers. And we're going to do a Friday mailbag with the three of us. We haven't done a mailbag with all three of us in a while. Wanted to change it up a little bit. Get that on Friday. So make sure you're following us on our social medias, whether that be the at Just Baseball Show on Instagram or at Just BB underscore media on Twitter. That's where we'll post the graphic, ask all the questions. So we'll be doing that on Friday with the three of us. And if you enjoyed watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button and comment any underrated hitters that we missed. Or if we name some players who you just don't think are underrated and you think we're crazy, let us know. We'd love to hear it, but also please rate and review this podcast. Five stars, whether that be on Spotify or on Apple podcasts. And all of this was brought to you by bet MGM promo code, just baseball for all those great bonus bets. That's Jack. I'm Peter. We'll see you tomorrow. And with that, Thank you, everybody.